Well, this story, a tale of two brothers, is really a story of two lost sons. And as I said earlier, it's a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 many, 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 many thousands of years ago. Uh, 2,000 or more years ago, Jesus stood. And try and picture this setting. He's there. He's giving the story. And there's a big group of people there. A section of them are the rich ruling class. These are people very well-dressed, educated, the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers and rulers of the day. These are the, just the very highly respected uh, top of society people. And they were just incredibly attracted to Jesus. They couldn't get enough of him. They followed him everywhere he went, trying to, of course, they had a sinister plot. But they wanted to figure out who this Jesus guy was. Then there's also another group of people that followed Jesus around. And these were people who were complete 100% opposite of that other group. These were the free-spirited partying type people. These were the people that uh, didn't want to abide by any rules of society. They wanted to live their own way and do their own thing and be their own people. And these, this particular group of people absolutely couldn't get enough of Jesus either. So two opposites here. The rule followers and the rule breakers Loved to be around Jesus and to hear what he had to say. And so he's got this audience here. They're listening to him. He tells them three stories. First story is about a guy who has a hundred sheep. He loses one. He goes after, leaves the 99, goes after the one to find him. Second story he tells about is a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one coin. And she tears apart her house, searching for that one coin, finds the coin. And the third story is about a father who has two sons. One son comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. Give me everything that is due to me. His father grants that request. He takes all that money and goes and squanders it all on prostitutes. And uh, then he feels bad about it. Sorry. Excuse me, comes back and uh, comes back to his dad to tell him that he's sorry for wasting all the money and living like a, a rebellious son. The father forgives him, creates this big banquet that his son has returned. The elder brother of his hears about it and he's furious. He goes to his father and rebukes his father having this ridiculous party. The father comes out of the party and says, Son, hey, please, please, your brother was lost. He's found. He's back now. Come and celebrate with us. And the elder brother says, No. Refuses to go into the party. Now, it sounds like a really cool story, interesting story. Over the years, it's been referred to as the prodigal son. But as we've seen in this series, the story really is not about the younger brother. Although, it, you know, it has that aspect to it, and we tend to think about that. The main point of the story is the older brother's response. Jesus was telling this to the Pharisees. That's the group he was targeting. The other group heard it as well. And, of course, it applies to them as well. There are two basic ways people try to find happiness in life. Two basic groups of people, two categories, as I mentioned. The moral conformity types 
people that live within a community submit to the accountability of that community. They believe that they have the answers to life. They view themselves as people as holding the truth, having the truth, knowing the truth. And if only those outside people could know what we know and live the way we live, they would be so better off. They tend to view as the people outside the community as the people who are the problem with society. They're the problem. And if those people would just live like us, they would be so much better off. Then you have the people who believe that life's happiness is found through self-discovery. Finding it yourself. That uh, this moral conformity group, they think they have the truth, but they're a bunch of hypocrites and liars and they don't have the truth. And you should find out what you want for yourself, by yourself, on your own. Do what feels good. Do what feels right. Those people claim to have the truth, but really those moral people are the problem with society. And all our problems are because of them. And so, two paths to life, two types of beliefs, and Jesus tells a story to illustrate that both beliefs, both systems of belief are wrong. That both sons are lost, both paths are lost. So, here's the question that we have this morning. I'd like to end with these two questions. What do we need to do to escape the shackles of either brand of lostness. I think if you're uh, living and breathing, then you identify with either side or both. Maybe you even would say that you, at times in your life, are the younger son and at other times you're the older son. But how do we escape both types of lostness. And the second question is, how do we change from a fear-based, anger approach to life to a joy-filled love for God and others? The story tells us that obviously the first thing we need is the initiating love of God. The father initiated the love in this story. You see, we tend to have it backwards in our minds. We see the father sitting on the front porch, waiting for that rebellious son to return. And he's sitting there waiting, and he sees the son coming back, and he thinks to himself, oh, great. Here comes this loser son of mine. The one that has offended the whole family, has been rebellious, he's done his own thing. I hope he's got a good story. You know, I hope he's got, he's got a really good apology for me. We view it that way, right? We expect that. I mean, he's the one who blew it all. And so we want him to apologize but that isn't what happens. And Jesus tells the story quite differently. He, sees, he says that the father, seeing the son far off, runs to him. Throws his arms around him 
and kisses him and hugs him and loves on him. Not what we expected. God initiates the love. I think we tend to see this as if you will apologize, if you will be sorry, then love and acceptance will be yours. But Jesus reverses that and he says, love and acceptance is yours, so you're able to apologize. Rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. As Paul wrote in another way, he says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And the way Jesus tells the story is that the love of God compels us to want to be right with God, not the other way around. The same thing happens with the elder son. The father who is celebrating with his younger son leaves the celebration, goes out from the party to find the elder brother to convince him to come back into the celebration. The same is true in the story, the first story that he tells about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one and find him and bring him back. You see this picture in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Say that with me, would you? He gave up his divine privileges. Let's say it again. Let it sink in. Ready? Go. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, as you were seeing a picture here of God coming to man of God taking the initiative, God taking the first steps, God humbling himself and reaching out in love to us so that then we could respond back to God. How do you know if God is working on you? How do you know if God is initiating love towards you? Sometimes God dramatically wraps himself around us in his great love and we sense that love and we feel that and we know it. And sometimes God is arguing with us, compelling us to turn from our own ways and follow his ways. So how do you know? The first thing is you begin to sense your own lostness. You ever have that moment where you think, you know, there's... Or something, there's something wrong? There's something more to this? You begin to sense your own sense of lostness. And then you have this desire to want to escape it. When those things happen inside of you, let me tell you, God is right there next to you working on you. 21 years of being in the ministry and working with the public have proven to me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that change happens only through God. I have tried so hard to change people over the years. 
It is impossible. I can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only God can bring about a change or repentance or revival in a person. And so if in your mind you're thinking, you know, I need to get right with God. I need to make some changes in my life. I need to turn towards God. That is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. God is initiating His love with you. And the best thing you can do is respond to that. Maybe it's, uh, we need to go to church today. We need to get back in church. We need to get back to religion. We need to get our kids back into church. You know, there's a national movement going on right now of return back to church, return back to God, with a uh, culmination on September 18th. There's this feeling, I think, in the world that God is drawing people to himself. The best thing you can do is to that is to respond. Follow the promptings of his leading. Follow those nudges. Follow that initiation of love and respond to it. The younger brother did exactly that. He came to an end of himself and he said, I need to go home. It's far better with my dad than it is the way I am now. But he didn't think that he could just go back. And so he said, I'll make a list of all the things that I've done wrong and I'll bring those and I'll present them to my father and I'll ask him to forgive me. And so he makes this list. But God didn't respond to the list, did he? God didn't even look at the list. The father just completely had a different plan instead. He threw his arms around him and put a robe back on him and put his ring on his finger and said, you're restored. The elder brother, he didn't have a list because he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't done anything morally wrong in his own mind. So he didn't come to God with a list. And remember, Jesus told this story to illustrate the kingdom of God. To tell us what the kingdom was like and what God was like. And so clearly we see that bringing a list to God isn't good enough. Because the elder brother had no list. Bringing a list of repentance is a good way to start. That it isn't enough. What must happen is we must go beyond our lists. And allow the Lord to show us What was motivating us to even have a list to begin with? What's underneath that list? What's behind that list? Things like unbelief. Trusting in yourself and your own strength. Self-sufficiency. Self-righteousness. Being your own God. The ultimate self-sufficiency is this. I don't need God. Nobody needs God. The Christian self-sufficiency is, I don't need anyone else. It's just me and God is good enough. But what are we really saying when we say that? I don't want anyone's accountability in my life. 
With that kind of attitude, you'll never join a community group. You'll never go deeper into fellowship and community and faith. You'll be that lone ranger Christian that says, I can do it on my own. And so here we see this beautiful picture unfolding. It's the essence of the gospel. That the gospel is not about a list or not a list. The gospel is about responding to that love of Jesus. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus and who he is and what he has done. That is the gospel. The whole message right there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What is the gospel? The gospel is faith in Jesus. All these stories are very similar and very much alike with one key striking difference. In each story, something was lost. And in each story, something was found. All three stories end with a celebration. When what was lost is found, a big party is thrown. Same is true in all three stories. But in this last story, Jesus changes it just one little bit to make it dramatically different. You see, in the first story, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. The second story, the woman who lost the coin tears apart the house to find the lost coin. And so naturally, the audience that was hearing that story there, the Pharisees and those group of so-called bad people, they would naturally expect that the elder brother would drop everything and go after his younger brother to find him. After all, they knew that it was the elder brother's responsibility to do such a thing. They knew that God said to Cain, you are your brother's keeper. They knew that it would not be the father that would go. It would be the elder brother's responsibility to drop everything and go find his brother and bring him back to his father. In this, the great and wonderful story of Joseph, we see that very thing happen. The brothers going out to find their younger brother and bring him back to their father. And in this story, Jesus inserts into the story a lost elder brother who was not willing to go after his younger brother. In this story, the lost elder brother is just as lost as the younger son. Jesus' listeners would have expected the elder son to do his duty and go after his brother but he did not. Why do you suppose Jesus changed the last story? Why do you suppose he inserted that bad elder brother? It was making a point. He wanted to illustrate for everybody listening that there is an elder brother that they should be looking for, and it is Jesus. He was trying to illustrate himself. You see, 
this elder brother didn't go after his younger brother because to do so, he'd have to spend money. It would cost him. It would cost him something. He would have to use his resources to go and find that younger son. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to waste what he had on a rebellious brother. He didn't want to make those sacrifices. He obviously looked down on his brother and thought he was a loser and a flake. And didn't want to invest what was needed to go and retrieve him. Listen, he was unwilling to pay the cost of his younger brother's restoration to the father. You know, mercy is free. Mercy is free if it's mercy. If it's not free, it's something else. If it's completely free, we call it mercy. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. It's just given to you for some apparent reason, but for nothing you've done. You can't earn mercy. If you can earn it, it's something else. But forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness always has a price to be paid. And the price is paid by the person offering the forgiveness. If you're going to forgive somebody, it's going to cost you something. And sometimes it costs you a great deal. And we are simply not willing to pay it. The elder brother wasn't willing. He wasn't willing. He said, let that loser die out in the field. I don't care. I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm not going to go out of my way for his return. Let him die. You can see how Jesus was masterfully designing this story, can't you now? You see, because Jesus suffered under the wrath of God so that you wouldn't suffer under God's wrath. Jesus drank the cup of justice so that you could drink the cup of joy with the Father. Jesus suffered on the cross and gave his life so you wouldn't have to suffer and give your life. Jesus was stripped naked and bore shame and ridicule so that you could leave your shame and your regrets and be clothed instead in honor and forgiveness. Jesus was rejected so that you could be accepted. You see, he was the greatest elder brother anyone could ever hope for. In the final scene of Saving Private Ryan, one of my favorite war movies. In the final scene, Private Ryan is now a flash to the present. He's now an old man. And he's kneeling down at the grave of the lieutenant that led a squad to find him during World War II. He was off fighting in the war in Europe, 
and he was lost. They didn't know where he was, so they put together a squad of guys to hike all the way through Europe to find this boy and bring him home to his parents. And in the process, every one of those guys was killed, except for a section of one. Almost all of them lost their lives to find and save Private Ryan. And that lieutenant, on his final breath, he's been shot, he's just about to die, he grabs Private Ryan and he says, Make this count. Make it worth something. And then we flash to the present, and here he is, he's an old man now, and he's kneeling at that grave. And he says to that lieutenant, he says, I did my best to live a life worthy of your sacrifice. A very touching moment. But that's where the true joy is in serving God. That's where the real fulfillment is, is doing it for the right reason. That underlying purpose for which you are even here today If there's no joy in it, if there's no fulfillment in it, if your relationship with God is empty and dead and bland and reading the Bible is boring and worshiping is flat and all that has to do with your following of God is lame and empty and spiritually dead works, it's because you've become the elder brother and you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. You've lost that sense of gratitude for the sacrifice that has been made for you. You've lost sight of that blood and the suffering that Jesus shed for you. And there's no longer a song of gratefulness and there's no longer this eruption of spontaneous worship and gratitude for God for all that He has done for you. Because see, that gratitude... That ignites joy. And it causes you to live a certain way. A way that is worthy of the sacrifice that has been made for you. So how do you enter into this life of joy and serving Jesus? Number one, allow yourself to be moved by the sacrifice that Jesus has made. If you're a Christian today and you know salvation and you receive salvation... Ask God to restore unto you the joy of that salvation. Second thing you can do is allow a deeper repentance of not just the what you've done, but the why you've done it. You know, I wrestle with that every single Sunday morning. Every single Sunday morning. Every single one. I find a place somewhere in the church, you know, I, I know all the closets and places where I can kind of get away from you and hide and just for a little bit and pray, get on my knees and say, God, I really, really want everybody to like me. I want to be a great preacher and I want people to just love it and go, ooh, John, you're awesome. But I know that that is wrong. And I know what they really need, Lord, is you to be awesome. So help me to be small and nothing and insignificant so that you can be great and your name will be great. 
Because if I come out here and it's the John show, and I'm hooting and hollering and jumping around and trying to look good and trying to wow you, maybe that would happen and you would be wowed. And maybe you would walk out of here and you'd go, wow, that John, he's quite a preacher. That it would all be spiritual dead works for me. And I'd go home depressed and unfulfilled. But if instead you leave and you say, Lord, thank you for speaking to me today, then I can have joy. And I can know that I'm here for the right reasons. Another thing you can do is take steps to rebuild a broken relationship with the Father. If you sense today His tugging of your heart, if you sense today that you're not right with God, that you're running from Him, you're that prodigal son, you're, you're doing your own thing and you know it, then God's doing that. That's God's love. That's God initiating love with you. He's calling you back to Himself. If today you have just a little bit of desire to not want to be lost, that's God's love. Respond to it. Respond to it. Follow it. Open your heart. Open the door to it and say, God, I want to hear what you have to say about this. Speak to me. Lead me. And by doing these things, you will be able to celebrate you will be able to enter into that celebration that the Father has planned for you.